today. We are going to finally, finally get through this series. I, and I hope you can remember back some of the other things we talked about. We'll just kind of review them uh, uh, this morning to kind of get you caught up. And if you did want to go back, uh, these messages are uh, on a, a podcast. You can go back to our website and just click on sermons at the top and go down and re-listen to some of those if you wanted to. Uh, and uh, just to, to be reminded. <clears throat> and you can do that for any of the sermons. We try to keep that up to date with, with all the sermons that we present here. So this way we're going to finally fin finish up this, this series that was designed to give you and me tools, tools to boost our faith. Uh, and faith is so important. The idea uh, is that faith is having trust and confidence in something you can't see. Uh, in God, in Jesus, in the Holy Spirit. You know, we can't see and touch them physically, but we, we are called as Christians to put our faith in them, to put our faith in Jesus, uh, our trust and our confidence. Faith is that thing that can uh, give us peace. It's, it's, it's something that can help us um, see that, you know, no matter what happens in this life, everything's going to be okay in the end. Um, it's what saves us. Faith is what can, uh, that we can turn to when things go bad. Also, it's also something we can cling to when things are doing good in our life. Um, all because we have confidence in Almighty God who we can't see. But faith starts small. You know, you, you don't jump into faith and it's fully grown and fully strong and able to conquer anything that you face in life. It starts off small. As Christians, uh, we all start our faith uh, with that initial infant faith. You know, that belief, we hear, we hear a gospel message, or we read in, in the Bible uh, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, uh, that He's our Savior, and we, we, we hear that message and we believe it. We believe it. But it's more than just believing it. Uh, we believe it, and that leads us to repent in other words, that leads us to decide, I'm not going to live the way I've been living before. I'm not going to live selfishly anymore the way the world lives. I'm going to start, I'm going to turn, and I'm going to start living the way God wants me to live according to his word. That's repentance. When we turn from the way we were living, we decide I'm going to stop living that way, and I'm going to start living God's way. Uh, now, Belief in Jesus Christ as our Savior is worthless if we don't repent. There's got to be a change. There's got to be a change. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, the very first day that the Christians heard the gospel of Jesus, we read about that in Acts chapter 2, um, G Peter preached a message about Jesus for the very first time, and all his people heard it, and they believed it. And they asked Peter, what do we, what do, we do about this? What do we do about this? message you just gave us that we believe in and he said do two things repent you got to turn and change and start living your life the way god wants you to and then he said be baptized uh, because it's at your baptism that's the time and the place that it all happens because peter said repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit and the holy spirit comes and lives inside of you um and, and so that is that initial faith that gets you saved. 
Uh, but if we just remain in that initial infant faith of just simply believing in Jesus, um, most likely we're, we're going to simply just go back to where we were. I've seen it so many times in, in people who accept Jesus and they're all excited about him, but they don't ever do anything more after that. And they just fade right back to where they were before. The world will overcome us and we will find ourselves living the same way we were before we knew Jesus if our faith stays in that infant stage. So prevent that from happening. We, we've got to exercise our faith and make it stronger. Satan's going to do everything he can to make us fall back. He doesn't want our faith to grow. He wants us to fall back to where we were. And so we've got to do everything we can to overcome his temptation and equally the weakness of our flesh. Because even when we accept Jesus as our Savior, our flesh is still hungry. Our flesh wants what it wants. And some of the things that our flesh wants is sinful. Uh, and so we've got to, we've got to develop the strength to say no to Satan, but also to say no to this right here, this flesh, when it sees something it wants that's sinful. And the only way to do that is to regularly, daily seek to make our faith stronger. We live in a, a complex world that makes life a struggle, doesn't it? We all know how, how that's true. And without a strong faith, the world will overtake us. But the more we trust God, not, not only will, you know, do we give him our confidence, uh, but we give him our life. And when we give God our life with his help, with his help and the power of the Holy Spirit and a strong faith, uh, we can overcome the world. We can overcome our flesh, no matter what the world throws at us. The issue we face sometimes, though, is, is, is in not letting the world overcome us, um, is that our faith is just too small. It's too weak. And our flesh is too loud and too powerful. It's just not strong enough to keep the world and our flesh and Satan at bay. And so the only solution is a stronger faith. We need to boost our faith. The stronger our faith, the more victorious we'll be over this world. So in this series, we've looked at four things so far, four actions. It was way back when, but we, we did look at them. Uh, four experiences that can help our faith grow. Let's, let's be reminded about what they were. Um, we looked at practical teaching. Practical teaching is uh, when you just simply, on a regular basis, read God's Word. And as we're, we've learned in James on Wednesday nights, we don't just read it, but we do it. We practice it. We put it into practice. And so practical teaching uh, is, is a faith booster. Providential relationships can be faith boosters. Uh, God puts people in our lives, and by their example <clears throat> and by, by, their, uh, by their encouragement in our lives, when we have a relationship with someone who is a godly person, a, a Christ-like person, um, their example can boost our faith as we watch them and as they encourage us. Private disciplines. Uh, you know, if some of you may be exercise, maybe exercise regularly. Some of you don't, but some of you do. Some of you exercise regularly, and those of you who do, you know what that's about. You, you, it's not just something you do once a year or once a month. It's something you do, you know, 
five days a week or three days a week. Or, or you, it's a regiment that you do regularly. Why do you do it? Why do you do it? To strengthen your, your muscles and your body to make you healthier. Um, and it only happens when you do it regularly. Same is true when you're, when you're trying to strengthen your, your spiritual health. Uh, we, we do ex- spiritual exercises that can help our faith grow and get stronger. And so we do things like reading our Bible every day and, <clears throat> and praying and developing a, a prayer life, an intimate prayer life. We talked about giving, um, you know, letting go of that money, putting it in a collection plate and trusting God to take care of us. Those kind of things, uh, regularly exercising private disciplines. A lot of times they're done not, not to be a show for everybody, but just between us and God. And personal ministry. Um, we are the body of Christ. Imagine being, uh, having an arm that just hangs there, you know, like the old Tim Conway and the dentist, you know, routine, you know, we, we have to throw your arm around and, and it just, it just hangs down. You can't do anything. What if you had an arm like that? You know, that ju- it's part of your body, but it doesn't do anything. I mean, it's worthless. And so that's the way it is as the, as a part of the body of Christ, we need to be moving, acting, working parts not just parts that just hang there like come to church and listen to me talk uh on sundays but you're you're a part of a ministry and so uh when you get become a a, a part and have a personal ministry in the body of christ it helps your faith grow Uh, and so those are the four things that we looked at so far and today we're going to wrap it up with this one final um faith booster We're, we're calling it pivotal circumstances Pivotal circumstances. <clears throat> now, these five faith boosters are, are not something that I came up with. I didn't invent them. Um, it's not a list that I can say, okay, everybody, let's, let's all turn to the, the five faith boosters passage uh, because there is no five faith boosters passage in the Bible. Uh, no, this, this, these, these were just suggestions that I found from a, from a church down in Atlanta, Georgia, actually. Uh, it's a big, one of the big mega churches that Andy Stanley uh, preaches at. Uh, he's the son of Charles Stanley, many of you are familiar with. And at this large church with this large group of Christians, the, they, they, they did a study. They asked their members this question. Uh, what, what are the common factors in your life that helps your faith grow? And among all these members, these five things that we've been talking about came to the top. Um, and, and it seemed to be five uh, common experiences and, and actions that they took that they felt helped their faith grow. And, and others have asked the same question to other groups, and they, they, these five things tend to always come to the top. And down at this church in Georgia, they, they actually did a video, and they inter, interviewed some of the members there at this church, and they, uh, they found out that, that many of them uh, found their faith grew because of some major thing that happened in their life. Uh, uh, a, a pivotal moment, a pivotal circumstance. And so, just to, to, to give us an idea of what we're talking about this morning when we say pivotal circumstance, let's check out this video uh, that they did and see what exactly a pivotal circumstance is. Hi, I'm Lisa Joseph, and um, my pivotal circumstance happened when I lived in New York City in 2001. I'd recently moved there and uh, I was looking for a job and my roommate at the time, um, her friend worked at a restaurant called Windows of the World which was at the top of the World Trade Center. 
and he you know got me in and I had my interview I had my second interview and everything and you know I pretty much had the job and it was just you know a matter of me starting and they showed me where I was gonna sit where my office was gonna be and everything like that and before you know it they called back and they said they were gonna go with somebody else and I was so angry at God because this was my dream job and you know it was you know hook up it's who you know and so I you know I had first interview second interview and they showed me everything I was introduced to people and then all of a sudden you know no job and I was just so angry at God and of course fast forward a few months later and September 11th happened and almost nobody made it out of windows of the world so I realized that I was spared and even sometimes when I you know act bratty and I pray for something it doesn't happen and you know the Holy Spirit just reminds me you know September 11th I know what happened I know what's going to happen and even though you may not understand you just have to trust me my pivotal circumstance was when I was diagnosed with breast cancer my divorce after 23 years of marriage my husband told me he wanted a divorce having a special needs child my husband and I suffered from infertility for about five years I lost the son uh, Joshua five years ago our son Parker was 16 and he had a car accident and died when I was diagnosed with a brain aneurysm about a year ago being diagnosed with colon cancer going through uh, uh, my wife's cancer with her I was told I had to have open-heart surgery immediately I've got an x-ray here that shows that lymphoma right underneath my right clavicle. It was at the end of a nine-month relationship. The birth of one of our four children. She has a diagnosis of having Down syndrome. One of them in my life happened this summer when I went on a missions trip to Peru. When my brother got into a car accident um, when I was 10, and I saw the whole accident happen. On August 6th, on the way to a meeting, I received a call. And the call went something like this. Uh, due to a strategic reorganization, your services after 10 years are no longer needed. The manager of the base bank at the base in Lubbock, Texas, gave me a call and said he wanted to take me to lunch. And I'm thinking to myself, why does this guy want to take me to lunch? And my pivotal circumstance was when um, I was 19 years old and chose to have an abortion. I lost my hair at the age of 30. My little son did and brought me outside and said, look up in the sky. And up in the sky, there was a plane sky riding u plus god equals happiness um and it was like it was just directly to me it was almost like a burning was a guy who came in my life about 10 years ago and told me about this church and all of that was the hand of god that i've seen every every day uh and god's faithfulness is even seen in my hair coming back it was just such a personal time for me to really know who god is and what at one point tested my faith has become an item that has strengthened it and from that day I just gave everything up to him and asked him to forgive me knowing that I'll see Joshua again uh, gives us the, the faith and the courage and uh, the hope to go on God has entered in my life in a new way it wasn't that I didn't believe but now it was practical that's my story uh, that's my story that's my pivotal circumstance Okay, now that, that gives you a, an idea of what we're talking about <laughs> this morning. And, and obviously, it's going to look different for every person. 
uh, everywhere. Very few of us are going to have a story like that first lady uh, who, that we were spared from 9-11, um, the terrorist attack. But, but you have your story, you have your moments. You know, I, I consider these last couple of months in my life a pivotal circumstance where, where uh, you know, I was knocked off my feet. I've, been, I've experienced relatively good health all of my life, never had any major issues, and all of a sudden, boom, you know, I couldn't function. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, what, what's going to happen? How is this going to fall out in my life um, and affect me and my future? Um, you know, we've all had these moments in our lives, these circumstances, um, uh, that, that stop us in our tracks. And maybe you can think of, of, of a moment, that moment, and you know exactly what yours is right now. Um, and there's no rules for what kind of moment this might be. It could be a good thing. A couple of the people talked about some good things that happened that changed their life. And, and of course, uh, often bad things, tragic things, uh, can be a pivotal moment as well. Um, when something happens and you have no choice but to turn and change, uh, it's pivotal. It's pivotal. The question becomes, what will, we, what will that moment do to your faith? Let's look at a story from the life of Jesus, a, a huge pivotal moment um, for several people that, that took them to the next level of their faith. It, it changed things forever for them. It's going to be from the, the Gospel of John, chapter 11, uh, and we will begin with verse 1 through 3. John, chapter 11, verse 1 through 3 is, is where we'll start. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus lay sick, uh, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now here's a family, uh, a brother and two sisters, uh, and it looks like they are on a, the verge of a pivotal circumstance. Their brother is very, the, the two girls' brother is very sick, and it looks like he could die, that he's probably going to die. That's a pivotal moment. Maybe you've been uh, in, a, in a circumstance like that. Lazarus is very sick, and so uh, it, it's also important to, to understand that this family is very close to Jesus. Sometimes we don't think of Jesus as having close friends. You know, we think of him as the Messiah, and everyone bows down to him, but, but he was a human being who had friends. Some of them were very close, and, and this, these siblings were very close personal friends of his. Uh, John refers to that a couple of times in this verses. Uh, a special family to Jesus, and they were reaching out to him for help. Uh, obviously, they had heard about his healing, and maybe Jesus could do something to help their brother Lazarus. So they reached out and asked him for help. Let's, let's compare this moment uh, to moments that we might have experienced in our lives, a moment where we, we are also on the verge of a pivotal circumstance. Maybe you've been somewhere where you had a loved one that was, that was very ill and uh, you feared for their life. You know, God, something big's about to happen here. I need you. God, now, quick, would you please step in now to help me? It's urgent. It's life-changing. God, please help. Many of you have been there. 
before, just like Mary and Martha were. Verse 4, when he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This sickness is for God's glory, so that he may be glorified through it. Now, this is interesting and potentially confusing maybe for some. Um, One, good news, Jesus said, this won't end in death, so that's a good thing. But um, it's also interesting to think about that this sickness is going to bring God glory. You know, I I don't know if that's the way I want to give God glory, is to be sick. How about you? Uh, If I have a choice, I'd rather have other ways to give God glory than being sick. You know, my preference would be I hit the winning shot at, at the basketball game, and while they're interviewing me after the game, I get to say, hey, I just, first of all, I just want to give God glory. <laughs> That's the way I want to give uh, God glory. Um, but for Lazarus, his sickness was going to give God glory, Jesus said. Let's paraphrase the, the next few verses uh, in this, this chapter. Uh, Jesus said to his disciples, hey, guys, let's go down to Judea. In two days. In two days? You know, now at first the disciples don't want to go there. If you read there, you see they don't want to go there because last time they went there, they almost got killed. Um, but secondly, two days. I mean, Jesus, he's sick now. He, he's dying now. They're calling for you now. Why would you wait two days? That'll be too late. This is, this is one of those moments in the Bible that that could increase your faith. It certainly does mine when you think about um, if, if somebody was going to make a story up, a fictitious story, I don't know if they'd write it this way. You know, if they were trying to make up a story uh, and, and try to encourage people to love and adore Jesus because he's so helpful and so wonderful, you know, they would have had him go right now, okay, let's go, come on, guys. Maybe he would miraculously just appear there and take care of it all. But no, no, he waits. Um, this is not a fictional story. This is real. And, and we're going to see. We might wonder why, but we'll see why. Jesus said, no, let's wait. We're going to wait. Uh, because it shows a lot about God and about faith by his decision to do this. Jesus didn't run immediately to save Jesus. He didn't heal him from a distance. He could have done that. He had done that before. Uh, he waits. Guys, now we're going to stick around for a while. We're going to go later. And what good would it do if you wait and go two days? Uh, Jesus hears that Lazarus is in need, and he does nothing. Let that sink in for a minute. Have you ever been there? I can almost guarantee that you've felt that way before when you've reached out to God. Have you ever prayed and asked God and begged him for healing, for Uh, to provide something that you need to to help you, to guide you, to comfort you? Have you ever reached out and asked for for God to help you in some way? And then, nothing. Nothing. You see see what Mary and Martha are dealing with here? Something maybe you've dealt with. Something about this story that seems kind of wrong at first. Jesus, go, you know, or at least give us a reason why you're not just going? How many times have we wondered, why aren't you answering this prayer now like I asked you to, God? At least tell us why. 
Say something. Do something. God. But he just waits. I'm just going to wait. You know, growing in faith sometimes hurts, doesn't it? Jesus said in verse 11 through 15, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he, he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Can, can you feel that? Can you feel your, your faith muscles stretching and being torn there? What? 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 You, you're glad that he died? I mean, how could you allow this to happen, God? Have you ever heard that phrase before? God, how could you allow this to happen? I don't understand why you're dealing with my situation like this. Why? Why is it happening like this? Exactly. <laughs> Many will only follow Jesus at the point which they have complete and total understanding. I've got to understand every single thing about God before I'm going to follow him. If there's any mystery to it, it's not for me. God's not for me. But we need to understand that faith grows when we step beyond understanding and just trust him, no matter what. No matter what. Meanwhile, Mary and Martha have had to watch their brother die. And Jesus says to his disciples, I'm glad for your sake. I'm glad for your sake that he died, that, that, that this happened, so that you may believe. Okay, so what does this teach us? Um, that Jesus would allow this level of pain, and he did this on purpose, that he will allow this level of pain to teach his followers to trust him. And, and we might ask, is, is it that important? Is faith that important that Jesus would do something like this uh, to teach us about faith and trust? And I think Jesus will say, yes, it's that important for his disciples to have that level of faith, for Mary and Martha to have that level of faith. You know, we need that level of faith because this world that we live in is, is tragic sometimes. Real life is tragic it's tough, even for Christians. You know, we, we need that level of faith because this world is not some kind of a magic land where we get everything we wish for and pray for. In fact, we, we often don't get what we wish for and pray for. We live in a world plagued by the consequences of sin and the consequences of our own free will and the choices we make sometimes. And therefore, Life is often hard, and it's raw. And then at some point, it strikes close to home. You know, for, for how many of us have, have lived much of our life thinking, well, that, oh, that's terrible, but at least it's them. At least it's that person. But then all of a sudden, boom, now it's me. Now it's me. 
And if we lose faith in God, we lose the one thing that can get us through it. When life happens. Of course, he allows us to experience hardship or else we'd never be prepared to face reality. You know, we've all seen kids who were raised and spoiled, rotten, and got everything that they need, that they wanted. Uh, you know, they were catered to, you know, uh, given a silver spoon in life. And, and then we've seen their lives crash and burn when they finally got out of the house and had to live real life. And life wasn't perfect, and people didn't do for them everything they needed and wanted. God wants us to be prepared for this real life that we live. If not, we never have the faith to fight the lies of the enemy who wants to take us down. When Jesus and his disciples finally make it to Bethany, Lazarus has already died. And Mary and Martha, of course, are mourning because of the loss of their brother. If you'd only been here, Martha said, then this wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have died. And you can see the level of pain in Mary and Martha just by observing what Jesus did. What was Jesus' reaction to Mary and Martha's mourning? He cried. He wept. The shortest verse in the Bible, right? John chapter 11, verse 35, Jesus wept. And Jesus didn't cry because Lazarus was dead, because he's getting ready to take care of that. <laughs> No, he was crying because his heart was broken to see their hearts broken. And then he has a conversation with Mary. Verse 21 through 27. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Many of the Jews had believed that on the last day of, of, of uh, creation or uh, when, when, when time comes to an end, everybody who was a follower of God would be resurrected from the dead. So she believed that. But Jesus said, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. A pivotal moment. Pivotal moment. My brother is dead. You didn't save him. There's nothing left to be done about that. But you know what? I still believe you are the Messiah. I still believe you are the Messiah. Have you ever been there before? When your words to God after a tragedy are, God, you could have done something. Why didn't you do something? We all prayed about it, and you didn't do anything. Maybe it's true, but where do you go from there? God, you didn't do anything. I, I so much wanted you to do something. Where do you go from there? What do you do next after that? Do you follow the example of Martha? I trust you, though. I trust you, Jesus, in the face of death. I trust you as the life. 
that you say you are and you prove that you are. Understand, she had no idea exactly what Jesus was going to do. She thought when he said resurrection, he meant the final resurrection. You know, and this was, Lord, I believe you're the Messiah regardless of what happened to Lazarus. Even though that happened to Lazarus. Even though you didn't intervene and save him. And there were probably doubters there. I probably would have been a doubter myself if I, if I had, had been there. But Martha wasn't. Even though her brother died, you're still the Messiah, and I believe it. Verse 38 through 42. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So it's been four days. Now in the King James Version, it makes it pretty clear what's going on here. In the King James Version, it says, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, by this time he stinketh. <laughs> you know, uh, in those days with that heat of the Middle East and and, uh, you know, it probably was a pretty, pretty rank body by then. But Jesus calls up to heaven. Uh, and maybe here is where Jesus' earlier words then become clear to the disciples. This will bring glory to God. Now they're starting to say, oh, okay, I see, I see why he did what he did. Why he waited. You know, they thought that healing was something special. And it was, it was. They, they observed him, witnessed him healing blind people and deaf people and people that had been crippled since they were born and people that had all kinds of terrible diseases like Lazarus. They had seen him heal people all, you know, over and over and over again, thousands at a time. And certainly that gave them some level of faith. It certainly would have me. But Jesus knows for these disciples that wasn't enough. They needed more. They needed even a clearer picture of who he was. Their faith needed to be stronger. And so that's why he did this, the way he did it. These disciples, uh, you know, they're about to be sent off on their own. Uh, it's going to be their job, once Jesus leaves, to share the gospel of Jesus to the world. And, and their faith has got to be as strong as it can possibly be with no doubt in their mind. Jesus has their, the, the best uh, lessons to teach that, and this was one of them. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then they saw something they hadn't seen before. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen, and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. <laughs> what a moment. A resurrection from the dead. Somebody who had been dead for four days. And now he's alive again. 
Whose pivotal circumstance was this in this story? Uh, was it Mary and Martha? Certainly it was. Was it, was it the disciples? Absolutely. I think this is what it was mainly meant for. Was it Lazarus? It's probably so, huh? You think? He's, he's alive again after four days. Wouldn't it be great to sit down with Lazarus and say, hey man, what's it like to be dead? What happens when you die? And I'm sure many asked him that question. Well, wasn't it a pivotal circumstance for all of them? They all gained something. Their faith, all, all of their faith grew through this event. This is one of those moments when many people's faith was tested, and, it res, and as a result, they all experienced tremendous growth. I mean, for the disciples, cha-ching, it went three levels up, I'm sure. It, Go back to those four days before the erection. Um, there was this pivotal point. Uh, no doubt they're, they're, this will change their lives. And for them, it only took four days and a miracle of resurrection for them uh, to, to know without a doubt an even greater commitment in their hearts and minds that he was who he says he was. He raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, one thing we need to keep in mind is this. This is not a template for us to apply at funerals. <laughs> God's probably not going to duplicate this. You know, this was, this was something that Jesus did just for the disciples, just for them. And it's not something that he's ever promised to do for, for anyone else. And so this literal uh, event is probably not going to happen for us today. But it is a template um, of, of God's nature and the value of facing a pivotal circumstance with trust in him that no matter what happens we're going to put our trust in him what's a take home for us from this story uh, well it starts with us answering the same question that was posed to Martha do you believe no matter what, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the, the living God? Whatever the circumstances you find yourself in, um, you're, you're going to be pivoting. You know, which way will we pivot when that circumstance happens? Will you, no matter what happens, believe that Jesus is trustworthy? The key word is pivotal. You, you know what it means to pivot, right? Uh, for, for a pivot, there has to be a, a point where something turns. And if you're a basketball player, you understand the, the concept of pivoting. In basketball, you got your, your basketball, and if you're going to move around the court, if you're going to move with both feet, you've got to be dribbling the ball, right? If you stop dribbling the ball, you can't move anymore. If you start dribbling again, that's a penalty. It's double dribbling. Uh, but you can still move, only though if you pivot if one foot stays put, then you can pivot, you can turn. The other foot can move all day long, but this foot has to stay in one point, but you can still turn. You know, it, it, it's, it's similar uh, in a pivotal circumstance that happens in our life. Uh, a, an event or a series of events, something that, uh, that might uh, be able to target as a point in which now my life is going to change directions because of what happened right now. You heard it in, in the video that we just watched. You know, some common themes that were in from these testimonies. Life, death, sickness, 
mistakes, sin, um, losses. Again, every, everybody's life story is different, uh, but there are some similarities in our pivotal circumstances. Now, those people were all strangers. We didn't know any of them. But I bet some of you, we could make a video just like that that would be just as powerful where you could talk about some of the pivotal points in your life where you had to turn and change and how that change happened in your life. The question is, do pivotal circumstances help our faith grow? The Bible says that it can. We're studying James on Wednesday nights, and we read this passage the last couple of weeks, James 1, verse 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, pivotal circumstances often, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. A pivotal circumstance that makes you stronger is what James is talking about. You know, struggle in life can lead to Christian maturity. Um, we don't need, need to be misled by this testing. I, um, some people hear test and trial here, and, and they think that it's God divinely causing a trial in your life. Now, I'm just, this is just my personal opinion, but I, I just don't think God does that. Maybe he, maybe he does sometimes, but I just, I don't think God does that. I, 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 that, that thing, that, that phrase that many people say, you know, everything happens for a reason. In other words, meaning God caused that. God created this terrible thing in my life. He did it to test me. That's just my opinion. We, we can agree to disagree on that. Um, when I think of testing in this context, to me, it's more like revealing or showing whether or not our faith is real as we deal with this fallen world. The world crashes and burns around us, and we run into it. God didn't cause it to crash and burn, but it happened, and we run into it. How do we deal with that? How do we deal with that? That's the test. That's the test. And during that, do you believe? Is your faith intact? Do we turn to God instead of away from him? You know, you, you and I can say that we have faith all day long. Yeah, I believe that Jesus is my Savior. You, you, you can bet on that. But then it's not really tested until we hit that wall. We hit that, that reality of life. And then we hit that pivotal moment. That's when we find out whether our faith is real. Or whether we run. The truth be told, I don't know about you, but I, 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 want, I want to know if my faith is real. I can say it all day long, but I, 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 it would be good for me to know that, yeah, it's real. It's real. And tests can help us know if it's real. That's why God gives, allows them to happen to us. So with, with that being said, I, I'm, I'm not asking for, you know, I'm not asking God, but God, please send me some tragic thing in my life so that I can see if my faith is real. But you know what? It's going to happen. I don't think God sends tragedy, but he allows it to happen. It's going to happen. And we can use those moments to test our faith and decide 
Do we believe? Do we, is, it, is our faith real or are we going to run? I said this a second ago. I don't, I don't really buy into the notion that everything happens for a reason, meaning uh, to me that means that God made it happen. He caused that terrible thing, that evil, that trauma, that death. He caused it. I, 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 that, I just don't think God does it that way. Maybe he does, but I, I don't. I think a more accurate expression would be this. God can turn everything that happens in our life into something good. It can cause our faith to be stronger and our commitment to him to be greater and good can come out of it. We could call it redemption would be one way to put it. He specializes in redeeming the destruction and the decay of this world. And he can do it in our lives. When we face the, the decay of this world that disrupts our life, God can make good come out of it because it strengthens our faith. Pivotal circumstances can give a boost to our faith. And so the final question for this morning is this, which way will you pivot when those times come? Will you pivot towards God and trust him even more? Whether you've waited four days or 40 years for an answer. See where God will lead you in your life when you choose faith. No matter what, Lord, as Martha said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. See, we can allow Satan to leverage our life. We can turn towards him. He'd love for, come on, pivot this way. Pivot this way. Run away from God. Uh, take our circumstances uh, and manipulate us and drag us further down. He can do that. Maybe he's done that for you at times. Understand, Satan and his demons are trying to leverage our us and cause us to blame God when bad things happen. You did this to me, God. Why did you do this to me? God, Satan loves it when we do that. And we spiral away from him. Or we can allow God to show his power to redeem when those times come. Allow your faith to grow by digging deeper into the practical teachings of God's word. Uh, surrounding ourselves with, with faithful followers of Jesus, pivotal relationships. Um, by uh, getting involved in practical ministry and, um, and uh, practicing private discipline and personal ministry in our lives. We can, we can in, indulge ourselves in those, in those five those five faith boosters and see our faith get stronger and stronger when we pivot towards God. See, all these things, these five actions or experiences we've discussed during this series can work together to boost our faith and make it stronger. And so let's, let's be mindful um, of, of the vital need to make our faith stronger. And there's three of them we can, we can take action and do. We don't have to wait for it to happen. Uh, we can decide I'm going to be more involved in practical teaching by reading my Bible and putting it into practice. I'm going to be involved in private discipline. Uh, I'm going to pick up my Bible and read it every day. I'm going to be in constant prayer with God throughout my day. I'm going to find a ministry and I'm going to get involved with it and take action and not be just a dead body 
part that hangs loose. I'm going to be an active, moving part of the body of Christ. We can all decide to do those three things. And then we can allow those other two to just happen when they happen. We can, when someone is seeking to have a relationship with, or we just happen, happen upon a, a providential relationship with a godly person or a couple, we can take advantage of that and grow in our relationship with them and thus grow in our relationship with God. And we can take the, the rawness and the tra- tragedies of this life and, and, and rather than letting it crush us and tear us down, we can let it make us stronger. To be able to say that no matter what life brings, God, I believe in you, I trust in you, may you be glorified in my life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the, the chances we have to live life and, and even when, when life dumps on us. We can even use those times, Lord, uh, to come close to you. Father, thank you for the faith of Martha that even though her brother had died, she didn't waver, but she just proclaimed, Lord, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, and I believe it. Help us to have that same attitude when life hits us. If life is hitting some of the folks here today, which I, I know it is, help, help them to just be able to, to stand up and pivot toward you uh, and know that, that you're still God, you're still our Messiah. Sometimes you don't answer the, our prayers like we hope and wish you would, but you're still in charge. Uh, you're still God, you're still creator, you're still savior. Help us to put our faith in you. And, in, and if we do that, in the end, it'll be okay. And we'll be blessed and you'll be glorified. So it's hard to say this sometimes, Lord, but thank you for those pivotal circumstances, even the bad ones. Thank you for them and help us to not, to not uh, let them go to waste, but to use them to strengthen our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.